Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Week three in this series called Trellis, and uh, we've been discussing our need for a trellis in our own lives. A trellis is, in vineyards, um, a trellis is a structure that allows grapevines to grow. In the Bible, uh, repeatedly, Jesus in particular talked about us as vineyards, as he's the vine, we're the branches. And so um, just like in a vineyard, you need a trellis in order for grapes to grow. Um, in our own lives, we need a trellis, which is a, a system an intentionally built structure upon which we can grow spiritually. And very often people say, I I feel stuck. I don't know how to move forward. I want to take the next step in life with Jesus, but I keep getting stuck. Two steps forward, two steps back. And I think in many cases, what's what's there is a, a good and sincere heart and all the best intentions, but not a structure upon which to build. And that's what we're focusing on um, with this trellis discussion and our trellis communities. Um, what we saw last week is the Desert Fathers uh, discovered this idea of a trellis and that specifically the material from which you build a trellis is spiritual practices. So uh, we looked at this uh, image last week. Uh, hopefully you remember this. If you weren't here last week, you might be a bit confused. Maybe go back, grab the podcast. But um, we talked about our vision statement, which is walk with Jesus and love your neighbor. And then eight spiritual practices Uh, four of which are intentionally walk with Jesus practices. In other words, essentially vertical. It's how we connect with God. So four essentially vertical practices or walk with Jesus practices, which are Sabbath, prayer, scripture, and fasting, and the need to begin to systematically build those into our lives. And then also the second aspect of our vision statement, which is love your neighbor, which is a more of a horizontal connection. It's how we connect with one another. And then spiritual practices that are focused on that, which is empowerment, generosity, hospitality, and vocation. So beginning this week, our trellis communities will be doing this work together. Um, Remember, we're taking incremental steps together in those groups to build each spiritual practice into our lives. Um, If you are not in a trellis community, we talked about this last week, or or they all kind of filled up, but good news, we uh, have added a couple of new trellis communities. So if you're thinking, man, or you've been considering jumping in, I would encourage you jump in. Now's the time. It'd be great. And we've got some spots available now that we didn't have last week. So um, be sure to go in the app. and sign up or um, at the info area on your way out, they can sign you up for that. And then if you don't do that, I just want you to know that's okay. Um, and you can still participate in these spiritual practices. They are for everybody. The way this is going to work is uh, at the beginning of each month while our small groups are meeting um, or during our two semesters, I'm going to teach on one of the spiritual practices. 
uh, for one week, and then we'll go off to other stuff. And at the next month, I'll, uh, at the beginning of the next month, I'll teach on a different spiritual practice. So that whether you're in that group or not, you can start building your trellis too. And then um, you can jump in a trellis community as soon as possible, maybe next semester if you haven't already. Okay, so that's the setup. Uh, today we're going to talk about the first practice, uh, which is Sabbath keeping. Sabbath keeping. Let me read you a few verses. If you're a church kid, this will sound real familiar. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11 say this. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. Okay, We're not going to focus on this, by the way, but I just want to point out that the first of this commandment is go and do your work for six days. So... The Bible says, warn those who are lazy. So if you're lazy, you've been warned. Uh, the Bible says, like, I don't know, maybe get a job, be a responsible person. So um, if that's where you're at, uh, <laughs> you have six days each week for your ordinary work. Uh, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. So God's our model in this. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Okay, so uh, whether you're a church kid or not, you've heard about the Ten Commandments. They're a really big deal. This is the fourth of the Ten Commandments, the, the one with the most sort of descriptive words and explanation uh, that we find in Scripture as well. Um, the fourth commandment, for some reason I can't quite figure out, is the one that we do feel the most obliged to break. <laughs> like, um, no one will build the argument for, anything, for any other. Like if you say, hey man, we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't steal each other's stuff. And uh, no one's going to be like, ah, it's fine. It's cool. Hey, don't murder people. Nah, whatever, you know. But for some reason, with the fourth commandment, say we should keep a Sabbath, and it kind of goes in this other category, and we go, eh, maybe. Maybe we keep it. Maybe we don't. Um, the argument that I've heard explained for why Sabbath kind of goes in a different uh, category is that this Sabbath commandment isn't explicitly repeated anywhere in the New Testament, which I actually don't think is even correct. Um, but even if it is, like, I don't think that argument holds up because it misses the point. As we just saw, Sabbath keeping is anchored in creation. Um, God models it for us. After six days of good work, he then rested on the seventh day, appreciated the good work done, and declared it to be holy. And then he says, I want you to keep it holy. I want you to protect it. You yourself maintain one day a week for rest and for delight. So even if we could find a loophole for this commandment, um, I don't know why we would even want to. It would be incredibly self-defeating and it kind of misses the point. This is what Jesus said about Sabbath because people do have a tendency to lose the plot with Sabbath. Mark chapter two, verse 27 says this. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. The Sabbath was made to meet your needs. It's a gift to you, made to meet the needs of people not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. And so people can be very <clears throat> perfectionistic or legalistic or heavy-handed about this. And we all maybe know some horror stories of people who take this way too far and they lose the plot. It certainly happened in Jesus's day as people were obsessed with keeping the Sabbath. 
Um, and, and what Jesus is kind of speaking into that and going, guys, strain out a gnat, swallow a camel. You're kind of missing the point. This isn't something that you do for me. This is something that I do for you. He goes, guys, the Sabbath, it's not a test. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's not you bringing me another offering. It's actually, actually, I'm giving you one. And then it raises this really interesting question about whether or not we're going to accept the gift of Sabbath that has been given to us. And receiving a gift, sort of to state the obvious, to receive a gift is an act of trust. Um, So if you open a gift, someone gives you a gift and you open it, then that means you trust that there's something good in there, which means you inherently trust the person that gave it to you. If you give me a gift and I like take a metal detector to it and run it through an x-ray machine before I open it, because, you know, it could be, who knows what's in there, right? If I do that, then there's been a breakdown of trust, right? If I'm not willing to open the gift that you have given us. And ultimately keeping Sabbath is about trust. Um, Keeping a Sabbath means you set aside an entire day for rest without doing any work. Now, that should be an easy sell, right? That should be like, like, yeah, sign me up. That's, that's a law. Yes. That's one of the good ones. Who doesn't want a day off, right? But the trouble is, the trouble is that means you have to trust God to give you seven days of provision based on only six days of your work. And that's actually asking a lot. That's a lot of trust, especially if we've got perhaps identity wrapped up and how many things we can do or how much we get accomplished or how important we are in the world around us. And for a lot of us, what this actually means is facing our absolute greatest fear, whether we recognize that that's what it is or not. So here's the thing. Right about the time you stopped freaking out about the monster under your bed, you're like, okay, I get it. I looked. I don't think it's coming out. We're cool. Right about then when you realize that's nothing to be afraid of, you start shifting over to the next monster. And a lot of people never overcome the second monster. For a lot of people, this is a monster that haunts and terrorizes them for their entire lives. That monster's name is Kronos. Kronos. In Greek mythology, Kronos is a titan and the personification of time. So chronos is time. That's where we get words like chronological and chronicle and chronic. And for a lot of people, the fear of chronos is chronic. In Greek mythology, chronos is this just brutal, absolutely ruthless dictator. Just this unyielding, heavy-handed monster of a titan. And he would do anything, and I mean anything. He would do anything necessary to remain in control. He had power over all. And he would do anything to maintain that power. For example, he thought to himself, I have children, and I'm awesome. And my children came from me, so they've got some of my awesome in them, which means my children could be a threat to my absolute power. And so Kronos ate his own children. Yeah, well, I mean, it's mythology. Don't worry. 
but he ate his own children. What's just as interesting to me is somebody was like, we need a statue of that. I was like, okay. Somebody's like, yep, I know what I'm going to do for the next few years. I'm going to make one of those. <laughs> but why? They were a threat. They, they might potentially have the power to overcome him. He would not relent in that power and he ate his own children. Not only that, he thought about his father and he said, well, my father must be awesome because he gave rise to me. And so maybe he could give rise to another me. So I need to make sure that doesn't happen. And so according to Greek mythology, he castrated his own father. Good call. It's a good, it's a good call. Because <laughs> we're going to eliminate any threat. Any threat, just in case you're not convinced that he is an absolute horrible monster. Uh, Kronos is also the one who cut off Cupid's wings. He was a murderer of love. That's, this is an all-time all absolute bad guy. And here's the thing. None of that, nothing subtle about any of that. It's not hard to see what these Greek myths were hinting at, right? Lesson that they're teaching. It wasn't just the ancient Greeks either. Um, ancient Chinese character or a pictogram for busyness is a combination of the character for heart and the character for killing. So busyness, they're saying, the message isn't subtle, it literally kills the heart. Chronos, father time, rules with an absolute iron fist. And he is unrelenting. And you know it, right? Time will not speed up. It will not slow down. Not for you, not for anyone. It's inevitable. It's unalterable. It won't negotiate. It will not compromise. It cannot be bought. Time is time. You can't have more. You can't have less. And it just marches on, right? In rhythm, never breaking stride. And if it catches you, it's over. Kronos ate his own children and he will not hesitate to swallow any one of you whole either and we know it. And so we live in fear of Kronos, controlled by Kronos. Guys, Kronos was inescapable before we put him on our wrists and on our walls and in our pockets. And for so many Titan, so many Kronos is the Titan who actually rules their life. Mark Buchanan wrote a great book on Sabbath called The Rest of God. And in it, he says simply, Kronos is the presiding deity of the driven. That's okay to be driven. It's not okay for Kronos to be our king. Something to consider. Now, the reason, stay with me here. The reason why Sabbath is so powerful is because Sabbath is an invitation from the actual king of the universe to declare your freedom from Kronos, the slave master. We read earlier the fourth commandment from the list of commandments in Exodus. There's another list, same commandments, um, in the book of Deuteronomy, and they give a little bit more explanation, or a different explanation, actually, uh, about the fourth commandment, keeping Sabbath. So um, let me read that to you now, verse five, or chapter 5, verse 15. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath. Because you were once slaves. And now you're not. 
And because of that, keep a Sabbath. What's he saying? He's like, you have been given freedom as God's children. You're no longer a slave, not even to time. Not even the time. And when you keep a Sabbath, you are a thumb in your nose at Kronos. You're declaring your, your independence from Kronos. You're saying, I don't bow to anyone but Jesus, not even you. So that's the Greek idea of time. They actually had another word for time, though, which is kairos. So there's Kronos, which is sequential time, chronological time. All right, the measurable aspect of time. The second word is kairos. And kairos refers to quality time or sacred time or the opportune time or the right time. Kairos was also one of the gods of Greek mythology too. And don't miss this. Kairos was the son of Zeus. Zeus was the one child of Kronos who didn't get swallowed whole. Okay? So the one, the one that got away, that doesn't sound right, but that's what happened. It was the one that got away, and then, and then Zeus gave rise to Kairos. And Kairos is symbolic, again, sacred time, that perfect moment, um, that when all is right, things are lined up as they should be, and frankly, when Kronos is bound, when, when we're not a slave to tick-tock. The word kairos is used 86 times in the New Testament. And it usually refers to, you know, it says like the fullness of time or the time has come. The most uh, familiar example is Mark chapter 1, verse 15, which was Jesus' very first sermon. He said this, the time or the kairos, the appointed time, the correct time, the right time, the sacred time, the kairos promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Sabbath is about taking a day of Kairos instead of just Kronos. You see it? Maybe, maybe you already did. I, I think maybe that's why so many of you are late for church, because you're on Kairos time. It's your Sabbath. I can say, I'm not going to be ruled by the clock. Come in during the third song. It's cool. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, so let's just get a, a little bit more practical. Hopefully you have hold of that idea uh, what does it look like to keep a Sabbath, which is a difficult thing to really nail down because, and hear me on this, it's, it is going to be different for different people, different circumstances. Um, you'll take it at different times. That, you know, we're not going to be heavy-handed or legalistic about these things, and so it does look different for each person. Uh, but I want to, you know, a lot, I'm not trying to be mean when I say this, <laughs> but most of what I hear people say when they talk about keeping a Sabbath is like, like totally wrong. <laughs> and th- this idea that, it's this day of like sullen, silent reflection where we, we crank up the spiritual practices up to a thousand, maybe to catch up from the ones we missed the six days prior or something. We really crank it up and then the picture gets painted. I don't know how explicit it is, but it's just mostly, yeah, it's a Sabbath. We sit around uh, in silence and, and we read and that's basically it. And then um, I know that for some small subset of you, you're like, that sounds wonderful. For the rest of us, that sounds like being bored to tears for a day, okay? Um, 
And that just completely misses the point. Like it misses the point. It's not catch up on spiritual practices. It's delighting in the overflow of being someone who has walked with Jesus and loved their neighbor for the previous six days. My, my favorite book by far on Sabbath is called Sabbath. It's written by a guy named uh, Dan Allender. And this idea that it's some sort of sad, sullen, reflective day um, he just destroys that perception, just rips it to shreds like Kronos eating his own children, okay? Um, and he says, he says clearly and he says correctly, the goal of Sabbath, the goal of Sabbath is delight. Your delight, gift from God, your delight. The picture we're given again is God creating the cosmos and then sitting back on the seventh day and delighting in that good creation, a job well done. And it goes, this day's holy. We're setting this one apart. And keep in mind that happened before the world fell into sin and chaos. It was when everything was as it should be, which is why Dan Allender says it's so helpful. I think it's so helpful perspective. He goes, Sabbath keeping, it's weird. So stay with me. Sabbath keeping is first and foremost about pretending. You you pretend. Here's, here's the promise. God is renewing all things. We talk about that a lot around here, right? And as his children, we will one day experience the fullness of that. And, and Allender says, you want to know what's it look like to keep a Sabbath? Well, I mean, what does that look like? How does that hit the ground if I'm, if I'm not just supposed to read or sit in silence throughout the course of the day, unless you particularly wanted to do that? Then what is it supposed to be? And here's what he's saying. Imagine the new heavens and the new earth. Christ has come. Everything that's broken has been put back together. Death has been defeated. Every tear has been wiped away. And you live in a new heaven and a new earth. Imagine what you would do for a day in that reality. And he goes, all right, pretend you're there now. For 24 hours, pretend that that's true now. Lean into as much of the already and push back as much of the already of the not yet as you possibly can. Pretend you're living in that uh, revealed beauty. Imagine what a day like that might be, and set that up as your target. Now, you know, obviously, we're not yet there. We won't experience that in its fullness, but we can get a real foretaste of it and experience out of that again the goal: pure delight. The same delight that God had as he looked at his good creation. And that's the Hebrew idea of rest. So I'll quote Dan Allender now, again, from that same book. This is very helpful. Menuha is the Hebrew word for rest. And we say it, we see in scripture in, in, the, in the Ten Commandments, take a day for rest. Great. That's the Hebrew word. But it's better translated as joyous repose, tranquility, or delight. To the biblical mind, menuha is the same as happiness and stillness. As peace and harmony, it is the state in which there is no strife and no fighting, no fear and no distrust. Sabbath is the queen of all days. The day in which division, destitution, and death are put aside to celebrate our union with God, the abundance of his love, and the wild hope of his coming kingdom. It is a day spent in the realized joy of the not yet fully realized kingdom of God. Because guys, in the end, I know you know this, but let me say it very clearly. In the end, Kronos loses. In the end, 
Kronos is bound because when the kingdom comes, it's all Kairos time. It's all sacred time. It is all joy and blessing and ease. And this horrible looming threat of, one, of Kronos that one day we know he's coming and one day he's going to catch us. One day we're all going to run out of time and then it's over. Not to point out the obvious, but I want you to see it. Kronos is death. Kronos is death, the great enemy of man. It's like it's going to catch us if we don't get through our to-do list, if we don't knock out enough things, and it's going to start to catch up to us, and then one day it will catch to us ultimately, and then it's over. Okay? But the resurrection says that death has been defeated, and Kronos, will, hear me, child of God, will never swallow you up as he did his own children. What the Bible says is Kronos will be swallowed up. Death will be swallowed up. Isaiah 25 says this, in Jerusalem, and this is a picture of the new heaven, the new earth, the banquet, all right, once the kingdom has come. In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. Death wants to swallow you up. Kronos wants to swallow you up. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. One more quote from Dan Allender. Sabbaths are a direct face-to-face underdog challenger to death. The Sabbath looks death in the eye and says, oh, death, where's your sting? So the first idea is to pretend. If you're wondering, what do I do on a Sabbath? How do I keep a Sabbath? How do I start moving in that direction? Well, what do you imagine you'll do in the new earth? What will be a day like there? And then start moving incrementally in that direction. The second concept, uh, which is our our last point for today, is to prepare. Um, So we pretend and we prepare. Prepare is a lot more obvious. Um, uh, By the way, uh, there are two, these are the two points, pretend and prepare. Um, I actually have eight points, don't worry, not now. Um, I have eight points uh, because I'm a preacher and I can't help myself. They all start with the letter P. Um, and what we're going to do, because I want to say more about this than can fit in this time, um, on the podcast this week, uh, there's gonna, we're going to release an additional teaching. We're actually go through all eight of them and we'll cheat sheet for you. So you, as you think through and you start to work out, okay, what does it look like for me to begin uh, practicing uh, a Sabbath? So, um, and then what I, I believe some of our Charles communities will do is, is take two of those per week as they sort of work through um, this spiritual practice throughout the month. But anyway, today we're just getting through the first two. And number two is prepare. Um, Prepare, like I said, is obvious. It's purely practical stuff. Um, If you want to keep a Sabbath and you're like, yes, that's a gift. I want to receive that gift. I want to trust the Lord to give me seven days of provision based on only six days of my labor. Great. If you decide to do it and then you don't prepare for the day, I love you. It'll fail. It won't work because it won't just happen. It's a revolt against Kronos. And it has to be done intentionally. Uh, we get a picture of this in scripture with uh, the Israelites. Church kids will know this story. They're picking up manna in the wilderness. And the day before the Sabbath, what did they do? They picked up twice as much. They did some extra work heading into the Sabbath so that they could truly rest on the seventh day. Um, same idea here. So uh, again, 
your framework is what is joyful for me? What creates delight and rest for my body, for my soul? Um, so, for example, let's say you just love to cook and cooking is sheer delight for you. Then cooking some gorgeous meal, it will be an excellent Sabbath practice for you. If you're like some people in the room and you absolutely hate cooking and it's a, it's a scourge to mankind, then you're probably going to need to prepare your meals in advance because that wouldn't be sheer delight for you. All right. I hope that makes sense. Again, this is not about us not exerting ourselves. This is about embracing delight. So maybe you really love weightlifting. Then lift weights. Maybe you love playing tennis. Play tennis. Sweat like crazy. Be exhausted when you're done. If it is an expression of delight. If you can see yourself doing that when the kingdom comes, then get after it. That's great. For example, Pastor Chris. We guys know Chris. Chris might go on a long Sabbath run because he loves it so much. Most of you will probably need to get all your running logged in before your Sabbath day because you do it because you're supposed to. Maybe that is zero miles and that's okay. No, no judgment. But that's not something that will bring delight to you so you're not going, uh, you're not going to do it. It's all, it's all kind of, I think it's pretty intuitive. You just need to think it through, okay? So if you're a student, you got to knock out your homework before the Sabbath. Uh, if, a messy house stresses you out, then you're going to need to tidy up before the Sabbath. If you want to go on a long hike, then you're going to probably plan and pack for that the day before or in advance at some point. If you're going to do something silly and finger paint with the kids in the garage, then you want to set that up the day before and so on. And then, of course, this goes without saying, but just in case, of course, you're going to knock out all those work emails and you're going to shut out all of that stuff. And, and maybe you get there incrementally, but the goal that you're moving toward is for an entire day. Because, and you're like, well, I don't know, there's this. Listen, here's what we know. If you so much as open your laptop, Kronos is coming. And he will get you. He will get you. Just leave it. Just shut it down. Lock it away. Anybody need that? Um, because, again... There will be no nagging work emails when the kingdom comes. There will be no doom scrolling the news when the kingdom comes. So we need to push it out of our Sabbath days as well. And look, I, I, know, I know it sounds hard. It's like, I don't, I, and you're thinking, how in the world? I don't even know where to begin. And that's okay. I, I, just, I, want, I said there are, there are eight Ps, right? Um, none of those P's is perfection, okay? That's not one of the eight, okay? So we're gonna take incremental steps and some of you are, are like breaking out into hives because you're thinking I might have to turn off my phone for a couple of hours, okay? If so, <laughs> we pray after service, a little detox. Um, and you're thinking, or you're thinking, I could, how could I, pop? look, maybe, maybe you get to lunch and maybe in time you work through the afternoon, all right, work, not, not work, work, uh, work toward rest and delight and you move toward, it's okay. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't, what we don't want to do is have something imperfect happen and say, well, that's not what's going to happen when the kingdom has come. So I failed and Sabbath is, don't do that. Okay. My, my daughter and I have been playing this little game. We both got um, white shoes or mostly white shoes for Christmas. I happen to be wearing them today and it's a challenge to see who can keep their white shoes white the longest. Okay, and here's the thing. 
One step in the mud, you lose. It's over. And I haven't told my daughter this yet. I don't think she's in this service, and I'm glad. Um, this morning, I spilled some coffee just right on the white spot, and I'm like, ah, it's over. It's over. I lose. I have failed, okay? Keeping a Sabbath is not like keeping your shoes white. You know, one mistake and it's over. It's more like putting a seed in the ground and letting it begin to germinate and begin to grow and begin to grow and begin to grow. And it might need a lot of nurturing at the beginning, but in the end, you're going to have this beautiful place for shade and rest, okay? It's going to be really beautiful and life-giving, but we're going to get there incrementally and that's okay. So again, I acknowledge, I know it sounds hard. I know it sounds hard, but can we also admit, doesn't it also sound really, really, really good? For an entire day, an entire day to cage Kronos. He's gone. He's out of your life. And a whole day spent in rest and delight and the superabundance of the kingdom of God and his love and his grace for us. It's just like Jesus said, it's a gift. It's a gift. So let's face it, guys. We don't keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath keeps us. You understand? We don't keep the Sabbath. It keeps us. I know the world is set on 24-7, 24-7, 24-7, 24-7, and Jesus jumps in and goes, how about 24-6? How about 24-6? How about for one day, you trust me that it'll all, and that's the hard part. I know that's the hard part. Is it going to be okay, right? Is it going to be okay? Because if I don't, guys, if I don't work for an entire day, if I rest and delight in the Lord for an entire day, God will fall off of his throne, The earth will spin off of its axis. My children will starve. The house will fall into ruin. Taylor Swift will be late for the Super Bowl. And then Kelsey's going to break up with her and it's going to be all my fault. Right? By the way, relax. All right? She'll get to the Super Bowl. If if Kelsey breaks up with her, it'll all be fine. We'll get a great album out of it. The world will be a better place because of it. All right. It's like the amount of things we put on ourselves, you know, just the pressure. Oh, it's got to be just, it's got to be just, it's got to be just. And that's Kronos. That's Kronos just breathing down your neck, marching after you. And you go, no, no. Can I tell you what a gift it is to realize you're actually not that important. That you're not absolutely mission critical to every moment of every day. And that you can actually trust the Lord enough to receive the gift that he's giving us. All right. Uh, let me invite you to stand. Band's going to come on up as well. So we're going to have some time now in worship. Let's take a minute to pray. Lord, we just welcome your presence into this place. Father, um, not one or two of us, not three or four of us, but, but who knows, some huge number of us in this room are living under the constant and perpetual tyranny of Kronos. We feel his inevitable march breathing down our neck. We feel the looming dread that he will catch us. That if we pause for just a moment, it might all come crashing down. That if we're not on task and on task and on task and zeroed in, that we're so mission critical to so many things that it's just, it's going to fall apart. Lord, there are a lot of responsible, conscientious, 
hardworking people in this church, and I'm grateful. Those are all good and beautiful things. But no matter how hard we work, in the end, we are still utterly reliant upon you, which means we can trust you. And if you say that we can take a day for rest and delight, then that's true. And maybe, Lord, it's hard for us to believe that. Lord, would you help us take a step closer to believing that? If it's hard for us to even imagine how we might be able to declare independence from Kronos for an entire 24 hours, would you make it clear to us some of the incremental steps we can take? Would you remind us if we feel pressure or legalism connected to this? Remind us of what you said, Jesus. This is for you. This is a gift for you. I want you to have all of it. But you're not doing this for the sake of the Sabbath. You're doing it for your own sake. You're not keeping a Sabbath. Sabbath is keeping you. It's keeping us. We want to trust you, Lord, enough to receive the gift that you're offering us. It's such a kind gift. It's one that we need perhaps way more than we realize. Maybe way more we realize we need King Jesus for those in the room I just feel I just feel your compassion in this moment for those in the room who are they're just they're living under the tyranny of Kronos and they're feeling it man their anxiety is rising their pressure is building they find it hard to breathe at times how am I ever going to get it done? How am I going to get it done? How am I going to get it done? And that's going 24-7. Where would you help them now to feel your compassion? Would you begin to build their faith and trust that says, I've already conquered Kronos. He's defeated. And if you begin to live into that victory, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to provide. I'm going to help sustain one step at a time help us to have the faith to receive the gift you're offering King Jesus Jesus